This episode of Talking with TK is presented by The Cabinet House. For the finest kitchens, bathrooms and wardrobes, visit them online at www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell, episode 57 of the podcast, and today our special guest is none other than former West Tigers and Penrith Panthers Premiership Centre, Paul Fadawira. I actually went down to West Tigers camp in Concord for this one, so it was great to check out the West Tigers facilities and just to see exactly where they, they do train down at Concord. Paul Fadawira, he was very generous with his time. At the moment, he is the education and welfare manager down there. He looks after a lot of the, especially the under-20s kids down there and a lot of the guys coming through the ranks. He's doing some great things out there in terms of his public speaking as well. So really, really glad to bring him on because he's got just a, a vast experience both in life and in rugby league. He played 62 first grade games for Penrith. 58 for the West Tigers and 67 over in the Super League for Huddersfield. It is a very open and honest chat in the actual podcast. We speak a lot about his his career, getting little insights into what exactly made both the Penrith Panthers and the West Tigers so successful. Also, we talk about his transition from the game. Like I said, he is educating a lot of the younger players in the club and he's got different strategies that... He's helping them to to also apply into their their lives. So when they do walk away from the professional ranks, they'll be better off for it. We speak a little bit more about where he grew up. He grew up in a little town close to Wellington, which actually produced a number of All Blacks and NRL players. So when you consider how small it actually is, per capita, it's very impressive to see some of well the amount of professional sports people to actually come out of the little town. We speak about Benji Marshall, his, his impact and leadership both back then and also in his, final, in his final journey now with the West Tigers as he wraps up his career. We're also going to hear some of his own personal battles. You know, beating some of the the mental illness that he suffered over when he was playing in the UK. And he's had quite the story when you think the first two NRL clubs that he was at, the Warriors and the Storm, both cut him. So for him to continue to progress and be an international, win two premierships, it's quite the remarkable story. So I'm really looking forward to bringing you this one. Before we get Paul on the show, just a big shout out to everyone tuning in. Really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, Please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, or you can catch all the episode episode guides. All the players are online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If I could ask one favor, if you could just tell one friend about the show, really helps me grow. I've had some massive growth over the last kind of month and a half, so I really appreciate everyone tuning in, the iTunes reviews, and the subscriptions as well. If you want to connect with me, best way is either Twitter, I'm at TalkingWithTK, or send me a quick email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. All right, guys, really proud to bring this one to you. I introduce Paul Fatawira. 
welcome the man, Paul Fatawira. Good morning, TK. Paul, thanks for inviting me into the Tigers camp this morning. It's the first time, because my grandma actually had her house down at Canada Bay. So I literally spent every weekend down here, but I've never actually been in Concord Oval in this whole facility, so it's, it's actually pretty amazing. It is, and this is where the apparently the magic happens, but uh, now it's great to, to, to work in an environment as a player, past player, and yeah. to obviously now work in the admin in the education and wellbeing space, it is great to come back and try and share back with the boys sort of my experiences and pretty much tell them what what I did. So head in the other direction, but yeah. uh, it is awesome to be a part of the Swiss Tigers organisation. Yeah, it's been huge because I've been obviously following you a lot on social media and I see over the past week you've had some of the boys like Bronson Harrison and you had Dean Hallettow come in. I'm pretty sure, was it in this room where we're at the moment? It, is, it was, yes. Yeah, it was what, you had the 20s in there and were they just saying things from their past and just little mistakes and also what they did good over their, their time? So what I constructed the last six weeks, I thought I'll, I believe that the players respond more to life stories and people who have actually... Mm. Walk the walk, and now they're able to talk the talk. And I brought James Tahuna, a former UFC fighter, yeah. in uh, a while back, and he talked about his life story and concussion and how he how he got his life back on track. I was actually very fortunate to to be good friends with the commissioner of Northwest Police Force, okay. Mark Jones. He came and spoke about his journey and spoke about speeding and that been interesting up chat. Stuff. It was yeah. it was very interesting, and obviously I had Bronson Harrison come in this week and talking about business and yeah. transferring his values and tools that he learned within the game of rugby league, being disciplined. What is Bronson? What's his business now? So he is in the personal training business. So he's oh, got fitness. his own gym, CSP. Yeah. So he's in the fitness game. Yeah, and he has a gym actually in Concord on the other side of Concord oh, wow. Oval. He's doing great things there and his gym's going awesome. So he spoke about the values that he learnt within the game, like I mentioned earlier, discipline, and he's a good Hard work one. Dedication. He was what playing at 17, 18 years old, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. He's, he's played close to two hundred games. He was a two thousand and eight World Cup Kiwis winner too. So he's yeah. he's done some great things. But his message was to get educated while you're in the game. You have a bit of financial help with mm. the NRL. They give out grants yeah. to all the players and to make the most of your opportunities. How is the twenties kind of response? Because I know. Is it part sort of compulsory that they have to do either some education or some training while they play? It is compulsory. Yeah. So part of my job as the education and wellbeing officer, yep. I make sure the players are engaged with courses, work, and the policy mm. is 24 hours of work or study per week. Oh, wow. If you don't, you don't play. And how do, they, how do they, you monitor that? Do they have to get a sign-off from something, or is this just a, you know, it's a policy just... We think you're going to do this. So pretty much, I follow up with their bosses and make sure they're attending. Yeah, and it's just communication, making sure the boys are on track and and continuing to make sure they go to work and, yeah, and yeah. obviously complete their courses. So that's that's part of my job description. What was it like when you came through the twenties? Did they have any of these sort of systems at all? I didn't really come through the twenties. I yeah. left school at seventeen, and a year later, I debuted for the Warriors at eighteen. So pretty much I went from a country boy from Wanu or Mata straight to first grade yeah. the following year. Unfortunately, they didn't have the systems that they have in place now. and We didn't have no education and well-being. Obviously, I was more so yeah. 18 years old and you know, go to the pub and join your stories. Really, it wasn't really much leadership or mentoring within our space. So I'm 
to be in the position that I am to give back to the players, I do feel grateful to be able to share them my knowledge and also get the, the people that can help them guide them in their yep. ways too. Like I mentioned, Bronson Harrison and James Dehuna and the police commissioner. It's it's a great space to be involved with mm. the game now and it's so much these that these boys don't realise the opportunities that oh, they have yeah. while they're in the game and mm. it's just great to give back. Yeah, Paul, how did you get, because you retired in 2011, right? Yes. And then you've been working for the Tigers since, what, end of 14, sort of early 15, is it? Yes, two, two years now. So that three-year gap, what were you doing in that three-year gap? It was pretty much a five-year gap and it was more so for myself when I retired. Yeah. It's been well documented. I went through some mental health issues, and mm. it's more so just trying to find my identity again. And as a professional football player, I moved away from home at the age of 17. And when I retired, as well as going through my mental health issues, mm. I was struggling to find my identity. And I guess for myself, I knew myself as the rugby league player. And once that was finished, who am I next? Yeah. Uh, to, to cut that story short, in that five years span, I pretty much. It was a trial and error. I went from a personal trainer for a year to not doing well in that, to labouring, tactiling, 3am in the morning, to window glazing, 5am in the morning and doing that grind. Yeah. And then I went back into the PT game, more wiser, mm. and I just started to, to grow and started to get that self-confidence back and learning how the outside world worked and I started to educate myself and I stepped into the public speaking yeah. arena and which my first gig was in front of the NRL boss Todd Greenberg and all the other education wellbeing officers within the game and that's practically how I got my job. Fantastic and how did that sort of opportunity come up and you know public speaking is especially the first time can be absolutely nerve-wracking. How did you find out what you do for preparation was it one of those situations where you were telling a story or were you like really, really prepared instead of like notes and stuff like that? Pretty much like I mentioned earlier, it was five years. It was about learning myself and learning how the outside world worked yeah. and finding my feet again and I finally got my health again and that come through educating myself and putting myself through educational wellbeing courses and reading hundreds of endless wellbeing books and mm. not just reading but practising the values of gratitude, the values of making sure you get quality sleep, the values of living in the present moment. And I practiced that for, for two years. Yeah. And I thought, hey, when I look back at it, during my 12-year career, I wasn't really much of a speaker. I just done my job and then I went home. Yeah. But I just, I'm just a person now that wants to grow. And I just felt that I had a genuine and pos- positive story that can inspire yep. people. And I connected with Paul Heppenstall, who is my boss, at the, in the education and wellbeing space within the NRL and we had a coffee and he said, Fats, I've been waiting for you for 10 years to come to me and actually we have a seminar in yeah. three days, would you like to come? Yeah. I said, okay, even though I hadn't had my story written and anyway, that, that, those two days I did a public speaking course and I pretty much honed my, honed my skills within that two days and then, hey, I was on stage and I just thought to myself, I'm just going to go in my, with my heart and be honest as I can, I, I've, I've pretty much followed that journey ever since. So as long as I'm honest with myself and knowing that it's genuine, yeah. and I am out there to inspire people and share my story. Everyone's got a story. Absolutely. Everyone's important. I'm not better than you, you're not better than me, but I believe that we can all learn from each other. And the grateful thing about being involved with the game is that I get opportunities to 
to now present internal strength my workshops to yeah. other NRL sides and also been able to hit the corporate sector in high schools across Australia and New Zealand. So I'm very fortunate to be within the game, but also very fortunate to be able to deliver my story and that's to live your life to the best of your ability, but also sharing those values and tools that keep me healthy and well. But I, I, like I've done over 100 presentations and it Fantastic. relates to everybody from all different backgrounds and it's universal love. It's all out there. It's just yeah. a matter of learning but also practicing and doing it each and every day yeah that's do you love that sort of that connection with the audience when they come up and see you after and they you know that that message that they didn't know about your story and all of a sudden you probably gave them some inspiration or some motivation to do something different in their lives have you had a lot of that as well i have i mentioned earlier i've done over 100 presentations and the feedback from from people whether through facebook or instagram or Mm. just after my talk and and connecting with people, it's great. It's a very humbling feeling. It's awesome to share back. It's funny how when you put yourself in vulnerable positions and you open yourself up, it gives that person the opportunity to show his vulnerability and then to say, hey, it's okay. Yeah. Do you think it puts you like on an equal position? Because when you're a first-grade footballer, they kind of a fan will kind of put you on a pedestal, but you opening up about your own battles, do you think it kind of equalises it and creates a relationship? 100%. And for myself, I mentioned earlier about the identity Maybe in the way I thought, because all the pats on the backs yeah. and, and the finances and easy access to certain things with sponsorship and whatnot, sometimes for myself, you can think that you are better than everybody else, and then when you retire, all the pats on the back are gone, Yeah. hey, who are you now? And I did struggle with that identity for a number of years, and also dealing with mental health issues, so once I just... Hey, I'm not better than you, you're not yep. better than me, and, and I learned how to not be so caught up in my own bubble, but also practice sharing my vulnerabilities, but also sharing the values and tools that I live by and, mm. and giving back. I, I found that just such a awesome way to live your yeah. life, and we're all going to end up six feet under one day, it's what the legacy you leave behind, and sure. I had to go through my hardships to understand my legacy that I would like to leave behind and mm. so it's funny how, how things happen it's mentioned I read it somewhere, a quote you, you learn more from your losses than your wins and I truly believe that yeah I think so as well man it's just those setbacks that you can analyse what, what happened and just you know get some feedback from different mm. people see some mentors and things like that just to help you grow I guess winning all the time doesn't really bring growth does it no it doesn't and we spoke earlier before our interview I was very grateful to win two premiership rings and with yeah. some great players, some great quality sides who those guys will be friends for the rest of my life. But it's what it's the foundations that built that and now like well, I was at the Warriors at age of eighteen and moved to the Melbourne Storm and was cut. Yeah. Had to move out to, to Brisbane and had to continue their drive and the passion and work hard behind the scenes that when nobody was watching. Mm-hmm. And then it's funny how things happen. Like I was playing in the Queensland Cup alongside Billy Slater and Cameron Smith and Cooper Cronk and it was a TV game and Shane Richardson who was the Penrith Panthers CEO at the time mm. was in Brisbane the Panthers were playing against the Broncos yep. and pretty much I had a good game the TV game and he rung me up that night and said hey come to my hotel I said yep I'll see you, see you the next day and I rocked did up did you know who he was? no I didn't no. <laughs> but don't worry, I found out very quickly yeah. and pretty much he had a contract on the table 
and I didn't look at the contract, I just signed the paper, yep, when do you want me there? He said, in three days, so I was here in three days, I was hungry, because of that setback, and I still believed in myself, I was still working hard behind the scenes, yeah. still working hard, training, and trying to be the best football player that I could be, it gave me a, a stronger drive to succeed, and when I went to yeah. Penrith in 02, they were coming second to last, for me it was more so an opportunity. Because it was a massive rebuild over at Penrith when you think where they came from. Because what was it, like a second last of Wooden Spooners to Premiership literally the next year, right? It was. So that was all, all under John Lang. Yeah. And he's a great man and I still have a lot of respect for John Lang. And pretty much the great qualities about John Lang, he was a caring person. Yep. And he brought the best out of you as an individual. And they always said Tony Pulitore, the sleeping giant. Well, Tony went to my school because I went to John Paul too. Okay. And that's out at at Marion Quakers Hillway mm-hmm. and I remember because Tony was about what was Tony about five years older than I was and he was like a rock star I think they even gave him a car to go to school like it was crazy how good he was when he was still at school yes yeah, so pretty much he was uh, he had all the talent in the world yeah and obviously he worked hard but he was just like a sleeping giant he kept himself and he just you know great awesome nature an awesome person and somebody who I looked up to during my play days and I still do too today and keep in contact with him but they used to say he was a sleeping giant he could just erupt yeah. at any time while well, in 2003 he erupted and him and Joe Nullivelle with the second roles of the year they had a great year but we had fun and they had the hair too the hair yes the hair the, the teddy the hair bears <laughs> uh, but the thing is we trained hard yeah but we had fun and John Lang was a caring person but he he brought confidence out of Joe, Reese Wizard, TP, Preston Campbell. How good was Presto? Fantastic. And pretty much, we used a gun. We, we played off them, but we, we had the most basic game plan. Benny Ross hit us straight. John yeah. Clinton hit us straight. Give it to TP or Joe Nolivelle on the edges. Let them work their magic. Preston Campbell play off that. So we, we pretty much had the most basic game plan, and we just played off that individual talents. Yeah. I had Presto on last year. Did you guys realise that he had a suicide attempt at the start of the year when you guys won the comp? We had a bit of a fair idea. We didn't mm. get much into the story about it. But obviously he's come out now. Yeah, he, he was, he was very open about it. But at the time he was struggling. And it was actually Lange that saved him because mm. he had swallowed a whole heap of tablets. And I think Lange went to, to find him and that was one of the days I think he ended up uh, vomiting him out or something like that but yeah Langers was a, a big factor mm. behind trying to save Presto and obviously like you talked about before setbacks growth and I think his setback was able to find who he truly was and his message now and to the communities is absolutely outstanding and Preston's doing some great things as all you boys are he's doing some great things and he's still a part of the, the game and obviously on a indigenous aspect he is a, he yeah. is a leader as well as Dean Witters and it's awesome to see more Indigenous Pacific Islanders and Māori brothers to yeah. to represent because the NRL is a multicultural game there's 48% of Pacific Islanders the growth's been massive hasn't it like yes. when you think about when we grew up we're about the same age in the 80s and early 90s like it was predominantly like a white NRL there was just bits and pieces there was a few Aboriginal players playing a few New Zealanders would cross over from over in Auckland but predominantly it was a very wide Australian sort of game, but it is amazing to see the growth and all the different nationalities that have come into the system now. It is. I think it's fantastic, and it's great for the game too. Yeah, and like obviously the World Cup that just happened, that's probably the best World Cup that's happened because of the competitiveness of outside of Australia, New Zealand and England. We finally got some other teams that can actually play, like Fiji made the semifinals, Tonga made the semifinals, and for the game to continue to grow on an international level, 
those teams have to be strong as well. That's right. They're not the same Tongan and Fijian team from five, ten years ago. These players mm. are in the system now. They're training and they're in the grind, so they know how 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 things work and. Just, I think it's great for the game. Yeah. Obviously, in New Zealand and Australia, we have to keep on our toes, and especially in New Zealand, we didn't go too well, unfortunately, at the World Cup. But I was talking to a, a couple of players, and there was no stone left unturned. They gave it the best shot. Yeah. But it just wasn't. I guess sometimes on, on they had day. a lot of talent out as well. And Sean Johnson was only just coming back from injury. They had a lot of setbacks. They had a rookie coach as well. I'm sure in the next four years they'll continue to grow. And who knows, maybe Jason Tamulolo will go back over. And that changes the game big time. Who knows? We, we do need a lot of have a good look at ourselves and, and work harder. But that's just the name of the game. You either win or you lose. And yeah. unfortunately, it was on our home territory and we lost. And we just have to bite the bullet and, and move forward and learn from it. Yeah. It's just a quick break in the show. Next on Talking with TK... We're going to continue down the NRL Rugby League path, and I was really pleased to speak to Rennie Matua. The chat was very open and honest. We went through his entire career, some of the battles he faced towards the end, especially when he was playing with Parramatta, and he shared some really open and honest stuff, and here's a quick preview. It, it, it went on for 10 months, and it was... It's hard to... I try and explain to people, like, I was in... It was almost like a physical pain I was in. Uh, the harder I tried, uh, the you know I, I I put so much into things and I just wasn't getting results. It was it was just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Dealing with stuff away from the game, my body breaking down. You know, not accepting the fact that I was in my thirties by then, yeah. uh, and that. I couldn't keep up with those 18, 19, 21 year old, 21 year olds, you know. Um, you know, it it all came to a head about, I think it was about round 22 against the Broncos. And um, throughout, the, but you know, prior, prior to that, I find myself in the changing rooms, either being, you know, the, the clown making mm. everyone laugh or I'd get in my car and leave and I'd cry my eyes out the whole way home and I couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, as males, we don't talk about these things. You know, as a leader, as a captain, oh, I didn't want to show any emotion or any weakness. Um, uh, round 22 against the Broncos, I walked off the field, sat in a corner and was just crying uncontrollably and I just didn't know what was going on. I had no idea what, what was happening. Um, and, uh, yeah, and... To uh, you know, we flew back to Sydney, and um, that that night, I I uh, tried to take my own life, and um, you know, I, I sent out a message to to uh, my sister and my niece and my mother at two in the morning, and um, I didn't expect them to get the message. I didn't know that they'd be awake, and uh, uh, turned my phone off and um, they rang Willie Tonga who lived in Homebush it was still another uh, half an hour away from Parramatta not mm. too far and he uh, yeah he got out of bed and, and came straight to to the apartment and and uh, some things um, some really strange things you know I look back on now like some doors were unlocked that shouldn't have been unlocked you know the apartment was a secure building you know the downstairs door was usually locked. That was open. Um, you know, the front door of my house was unlocked. That you know, for Willie to get in, you know, I, he was. I wasn't meant to 
to die yeah. at night. So, guys, that's Rennie Matua. So catch him on the show next week. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher, or you can catch it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Of course, today the show is presented by The Cabinet House. They specialize in new kitchens, bathroom, and custom wardrobes. They're run by a friend of mine, Rodney Hawken. The quality of their stuff is second to none. I really urge you to have a look at their range online at www.thecabinethouse.com.au. They've also got a really great Instagram where you can see all the pictures of all the different kitchens that they've been completing. So give them a Give them a, have a look, a little look there. So www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Okay, guys, let's get back to the show. Paul, take me back to the start a little bit because you grew up in a town outside of Wellington. I tried to pronounce it. I couldn't pronounce it, so I'm going to leave it for you to pronounce it. My hometown is called Wanuomata. Oh, Wellington. Yes. How big is that? 16,000 people. Yeah. So not so big. It's To give you a brief description about it, Wellington... It's one of it seems like it's on the same town, so it's you have to go over a hill to come inside it. It's like yeah, being yeah. inside a volcano. It's like our own little suburb, and it's, <laughs> a, it's a, it was a great and humbling place to, to be raised. And yeah, it's a cl- close to the water or more mountains. We have our own beach and mountains. Yeah, so it's pretty much just like living inside a volcano. We have our our own little country. That's so to beautiful. Speak. Yeah, it's a, it was a very humbling town. Obviously, some some hard times, but some more great times. Yeah. Has some legends of the game been raised from Wani Omata, Tana Umanga, the former bat captain. Yeah. Billy uh, Whipu as well. Billy right? Whipu, a former yeah. Manly Sea Eagles yep. first grade player. Pity Whipu, his younger brother, played for the All Blacks, World Cup winner, Fantastic 2000 yeah. and 11. Namiya Tialata. as well. David Faumu. Faumu. Played for yeah. the Cowboys. Cowboys yeah. Namiya Tialata, former All Black prop. Paul Fatawira. Paul Fatawira, yes. So we, we've had a few, I guess, Great sports people come out of Wanio Mata, and yeah. it is a small community. It's one of those communities where we all know each other's business. Yeah, but it, it is a tight knit family, and I'm actually taking my daughter back for Christmas Beautiful. and New Year's this yeah. year. Nice one. How did you, considering that New Zealand is such a rugby union dominated through the schools, all through that, how did you avoid the rugby union bug, and how did you get into league? Good question. My father played rugby league, and he yeah. played for the Rainwater Kingfishers. Premiership level, so Lottery Cup was the main cup. Yeah, they came as the equivalent to the Winfield Cup, but obviously without the, the glamour and, and the money. Yeah, so it was amateur sport back then. And my brother played it. I was just practically was brought up in it. One Mata, like I said, it was a league community. Yep. Rugby union is dominated by Wellington, but One Mata did so well in the rugby league back home in the early. How far is it from Wellington? A thirty-minute drive. That's pretty city. cool. Yeah, yeah. So Wani Omata did some great things in the late 80s, early 90s, yep. being the national premiership team of New Zealand. And it was just practically just what we did. What was your dad? Was he a centre, 5'8"? He was a prop. Was he? He was a prop, so I don't know how I'd become a back. But Were you a big child? I wasn't. I was very small. I was a late bloomer. Yeah. I was one of those young boys that never made the rip size because of my size. Yeah. I, I had the determination... Did people constantly say, you're too small to play league, you're not going to make it, etc., etc.? Not so much. I just I was a late developer, and, and yeah. when you grow up in, in New Zealand, there's some, there's some men at the age of 12 with oh, beards and time. just the growth. So I just physically, I couldn't keep up with them. Yeah. My determination was, could never be questioned, 
but I guess once I started to develop 15, 16 and started to mature, yep. and it just started to find that balance. So, Were you yeah, fast as a youngster? No, I don't think I was ever fast, even during my professional years. So I was just more so just hit the, the right amount of pace. Yeah. But so I, could you just read a game really well? I think I was a good reader. Yeah, yeah, I was a good reader and and picked my times to engage myself when the fours were tied. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. But just, I was very fortunate. Tim Sheens was a coach at Tigers when yeah. he signed me up and he, he he taught me some some valuable lessons to keep myself interacted in the game. When you're a centre or, or a winger, you can sort of drift out sometimes. So he really, attacking-wise, yeah. got me more involved in the game. I want to ask you about him because when I had Bradley Clyde on, he told me uh, Tim Sheens was so brilliant because he was an innovator. So every training session, every time they came back for a preseason, it'd be something new that he would add into the team that no one else was doing. How was your experience with Tim? Tim Sheens is a great man. I have a lot of respect for Tim Sheens. And funny little story when he's when I come to the Concord Oval to think about signing up. First yeah. and foremost, he brought me on the morning when the boys were training. So obviously they'll keep the the boys, their current players on their toes and Sigmund DeVoy he mentioned to me this is what I think you can work on you're not doing this so good yep. I believe I can make you a better player so it wasn't so much giving me all the pats on the on the shoulders and telling me how good I was he more so told me how better of a player that he could that he could make me so mm. that was that was really the, the selling point right there and I was at the age of 22 had already won a premiership and I loved my time at the Penrith Panthers but I truly didn't believe that I was the complete player because yep. we had guns at the time and practically the tattoo trip all I had to do was make my tackles and do a couple yeah. of scoots here and there and that was it I, I, I felt like as a player I wasn't really growing sort of thing, so yeah. when Tim Sheens told me that the things he can make me a better player pretty much he had me sold right there what did he pick out in particular? just my involvement yeah. in the game he wanted to make me a genuine quality centre in attack and defence I had the defensive quality and I knew I could be more of an attacking weapon but I just I couldn't I couldn't not that I couldn't I just the players they were at Panthers at the time did the job yeah, and it was working so at the Tigers I wanted more responsibility I wanted to have more of a leadership role yeah, and to, to be that quality centre that attacking wise I knew I could be yeah once you win the comp obviously the first one in, with Penrith in 03 and then you also played with them in 04 and you talked about not really wanting to change too much. Is that was that kind of the attitude that because it wasn't broke, they didn't want to fix it, and they just wanted to keep doing the same thing over well, and over? I think why, why change is a good thing while it's working. Yeah, and, and like I mentioned earlier, we had Tony Pulitzer, Joe Nolivell, Preston Campbell, Luke Lewis, Luke Rooney. These guys were individually could work anything on their own, and mm. it worked. And we got to the preliminary grand final in two thousand and four. But for me, it was just a matter of. Okay, I've done my time here. It's time to, to move on. Yeah. And and like I said, Tim Sheens said he could make me the, the player that I wanted to be, and, and I took that chances. West Tigers were a bottom eight side at that time, but I saw Benji Marshall at the time, a young player coming through, and yeah. Bronson Harrison, we had Mark O'Neill there, who was, a, who was a, one of the leaders, Ben Galea. So the, the potential was there, but sometimes you've got to take a risk. Yeah. And that risk happens when there's not too many clubs chasing you as well. So <laughs> we have a look at the two teams, but they they do kind of stack up very similar. When you think that they are two great coaches, and then when you have a look at the balance across both teams, you do get that kind of mix of experienced and young guys out of the blue players. Benji Marshall for the Tigers, Preston Campbell for Penrith, 
did you ever kind of sit down and reflect and have a look at both teams and kind of go, wow, this is so similar? I did. Yeah. 100%. You had your Liam Fulton, Bryce Gibbs, Benji, all coming through the junior ranks of this club, the West Tigers. And mm-hmm. you look at Penrith, we had Luke Lewis, Luke Rooney, Trent Waterhouse, Luke Swain, they're all coming through the junior ranks as well. So it's uh, it did have similar similarities between the both clubs. Yeah, 03 when Scott Sutler made that tackle on Todd Byrne to pretty much that was the game changer, the moment of the game changer. Obviously, you would have been on the other side because you were left centre, were you? I was right centre. Or you right centre. So you were actually centre. straight behind, behind it then. What were your thoughts when you saw Todd Byrne taken off? A relief. It was a relief and... If you can see the highlight reels, I'm pretty much 50 metres behind. Yeah. I had here at the time, I'm doing the whole piss pump. So it was more of a relief yeah. and to, to you know, at, at the right time, that, could, that was a game changer right there. Yeah. That was the game changer and it definitely put us back in the front foot. And I, I think of, obviously, of that tribal score, that could have been a different story. How did you guys feel, because on the morning of the game, it is bucketing down and the game is played in wet and you guys are an expansive team that like to throw the football around mm. was there nervousness before the game to tell you the truth that whole week was fantastic it yeah. was, we, we, we didn't change our routine we kept things the same obviously you, you got more duties to do with the grand final breakfast, breakfast and, and stuff. Yeah, obviously did you enjoy stuff. the breakfast I did Yeah, and it was, it was a good vibe and John Lang kept it as simple as possible and as relaxed and we did what we had to do we had a laugh we enjoyed the week and I, I know a number of teams, sometimes they go into a week camp mm. during the grand final, and it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But for this particular year, for us, we just stuck to the same routine, and it worked. And it, just, it was a light mood, and everyone just seemed so confident. And I guess it helps when we were the minor premiership winners, but still in the grand final, we were the odds were against us. Yeah. So it was, Big time, they were the Roosters, yeah. man. So I guess in that aspect, the, the pressure was all on the Roosters, but we just focused on ourselves and enjoyed the moments and... Had a great time. Yeah, the run-up into the grand final must have been amazing because Penrith is a great community and they're very close with their team, especially when they're winning. How was that kind of connection with the community in that run-up? It was fantastic. They Obviously, they've had a success in the past in 91. Mm. And, and for that genuine support to be up there, we had a packed house every single game. Yeah. Uh, Saturday nights at Panthers was It's the best. If you can't get up... With that, then hey, something's wrong with yourself. So it was a really great support from the community and dying for success. Yeah. And it's all about timing, and the timing was right in 2003. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, you talked about moving to the Tigers. How was the first preseason in 05? And then uh, did, did the boys bring you in? Like, what was the culture like? Was Were they very openness? Would they take you out to make sure that you fitted into the group? How was the culture when you first arrived? The culture was great, and with the training, it was a different level. It was very tough, but in saying that, the boys did embrace me. And, mm. and the good thing about 05 is that we were, really, we were really good mates off the field as well. And at the time, me, Benji, Dean Hallertau, and Robbie Farrell we used to hang out quite a bit because we were the young crew of the yeah. of the team. And we, we did hang out quite a bit off the field as well, so I think that... It's, there was a special bond there which yeah. is still there today we still keep in contact with each other and catch up for a beer now and again and just have a good laugh and and things haven't changed really it's, it's a when you win premierships you, you do keep those bonds for life yeah. and it was a special time and 
no one believed that we could win the, the Premiership, but you know, as the season progressed, we started to believe, and obviously the hard work and dedication still has to happen. Yeah. But we, we have that connection is important too, and I believe we, we did have a great connection on and off the field mm. in 05. Benji Marshall, because obviously he was sitting outside, I got introduced to him just then, and he still does have quite a presence, and you can tell that he's a leader amongst the group. You know, it's probably pretty specific why Ivan Cleary brought him back for this season. In terms of the qualities that you think Benji Marshall can bring to the Tigers this year, what do you think his main role will be within that squad? He's definitely a leader. Yeah. And I think if he can just keep his body right, obviously as we get older, our, our bodies don't recover as fast as what they used to. And yeah. He's training well out there. He's, he's, he's like a young teenager in the ball skills, what, what I've seen him do. And he's still got his time in. The games that he played for the Broncos, we all saw he, he, he still has it. But it's just a matter of looking after his body. Yeah. And obviously a bit of competitiveness because he's the most competitive person I've ever met. Whether you're, you're playing cards or <laughs> anything, he wants to win. And we need winners around here, and he's definitely a winner. So I believe that if he just keeps his body right yeah. and keep those players ahead of him on, on their toes, you never know what could happen. Because it was fantastic to see. His, his season with Brisbane was quite admirable when you think that he had so many doubters, especially after the season that he had with St. George Lawara. But the games that he played last year, he really put his, his foot down, and it was like he didn't miss a beat at all, did mm. it? Yeah, so if he can bring that to a club, that'd be great. And... Also, he's very vocal on and off the pitch in a positive way. He, he yeah. likes to have a laugh off the field, and and he gets he, he treats the treats everybody with respect too. And yeah. he's got a good nature about him, and he is a good man. And it's just great to have him around the joint. Obviously, he's the king of Concord, king of the Tigers. It's just, <laughs> yeah. As a, as a as a outer player, I think it's, it just fits right that he finishes his career where it began. Yeah. That 05 season, because I remember I watched on YouTube a couple of weeks ago, and you might remember this game, it was down at Shark Park, and they've given him the ball on the right side on halfway, and he stepped around the whole team and then beat David Peachy. Were you playing that day? I was, yes. That was an amazing try. He absolutely carved up that day. It was one of the best individual set-up tries I've ever seen and been a part of. And yeah. the, good thing, the, great things about, the great thing about playing with Benji is you're his teammate, but sometimes you're in awe just watching him do what he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, but the thing about it is he was, in, he was doing that in training. He was do, that's how he plays. That's just normal to him. So he he, he practiced it in training, yep. which gives him more confidence to bring it out in the game. Wow. And I think as a as a more experienced player, he, he's, he's like what I saw last year, he's learned to pick his times now. Yeah. Not so chuck it out and do you think players like for example Benji used to step a lot more use that side step when he was younger a lot more is it something about you kind of lose your physicality or is it something you get coached out of and you become more of a sort of standard player to play within a team structure instead of I don't think many teams play kind of off the cuff anymore do you kind of see the same thing I do I believe it's more structured yeah rugby league these days and with Benji as you get older you you, you learn to pick your times more mm. and I think he realises that he doesn't have to pull it out of the bag each and every time and, mm. and to be a leader is about him directing and telling everybody else what to do yep. more so than trying to do it on your own and he's still got it it's just a matter of just keeping his body healthy yep. and injury free and, and being a general because he he's a great talker when I watch him during the training sessions and he's a leader and hopefully you'll be able to lead by example this year yeah next year. absolutely
Guys, just another little break in the show. I just wanted to give you a quick snippet of our last episode. We had on a former NRL player and currently playing over there in the UK, Corey Patterson. Corey started his career at the Newcastle Knights. It was quite the start, and he's been exposed to a numerous just superstars along his career, and this is what he told me. Mate, I was, I'm, I'm super lucky, mate. I'd like, I debuted you know, with Andrew Johns and Danny Badiris and those yeah. type of blokes, and and then when I was at the Cowboys, I had Jonathan Thurston and <laughs> um, you know Matty Bowen and mate, I'm so I'm so fortunate to have the career I've had um, and, and play with the players that I've played with and against and um, yeah you pick up little things along the way uh, how to go about things um, how to prepare for matches and training and um, yeah everyone's individual but you know I tried to take as much as I can from from the you know. The, the awesome players I've played with. So guys, go back and check out that episode. If you're really into your league, I've had the likes of Andrew Weddinghausen, Bradley Clyde, Paul Harrigan, Joel Thompson, Sione Falmuina, and also Joey Williams on the show. So plenty for you to check them out. Some great stories and just like I like to tackle that road to success, adversity on the way. So lots of different things that could probably help you in your life too. So check it out. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. Please, the best way you can help me is also tell a family or friend member, just one, and let them know what I'm doing over here and the people that I've had on the show. That would be much appreciated. All right, guys, let's get back to the chat with Paul Fadawira. So, Paul, you make your... I want to talk about your test debut. That was, what, 05, was it, against Australia? I made my test debut in 2004. Four against Australia. Was that an absolute hiding, was it? It was an absolute hiding, yes. So it's not the best way to, to make you de- your debut. But yeah. These opportunities don't come and you have to take it with both hands. Where was it? It was up in Newcastle. So I was called, called in on the Tuesday, David Vileki. At the time, he was a gun centre. Oh, yeah, the NRL. Yes, he had yeah. injury. And I got the call up. But also to play with Stephen Kearney, who was his last... Test match, he got the call up as well, mm. and to make my debut when uh, a legend, one of my idols growing up, Stephen Kearney, was his last Test match. For myself, it was a it was a awesome experience that I always remember. But do you remember really bringing remember. home to your parents and letting them know about the whole thing? No, I don't remember that. Actually, <laughs> I think they might have come over. No, actually, they came over in 05. Yeah, it's more so just uh, it goes so quickly. Yeah, it goes so quickly. The Test match went so quickly. And the whole week is is quite a, a you know you, you grow up wanting to play for the Kiwis and to, to do it it yeah. goes so quickly. So but it, it is a great sort of learning point as well because the way you came up, you're told about being small and not being the biggest player, and then you made it into the pros and you get cut by your first two teams, and then all of a sudden a couple of years later you're playing for your your country. Mm. That must make you feel pretty special, and the whole experience. All the shit that happened, it's worth it in the end. It is, and it does go to show what perseverance can, can bring out and going through those difficult times and mm. pushing pushing through and still believing in yourself and and keep grinding it out. Yeah. And then opportunities happen. And I guess when you look at all the the majority of the, the top athletes within all sports, they do have those foundations are set from hard work and dedication, but it's the setbacks that make them stronger. Big time. And when you in the New Zealand camp, how much different is that in terms of in comparison to when you're just 
day to day in the NRL. It is a bit different. It's, it's more so of uh, catching up with the bros. Yeah. And being in that family environment again and having a good laugh and sometimes not eating those good foods that New Zealand foods have. It's, it's, it is a different feeling with, with, with culture and it's good to reconnect because when you're away from home for quite a long time, you sort of forget your roots. Yeah. So the good thing about being in the camp, you've you got to remain humble or else you get put back down again. So it's a, it's a great week, but also leading up to the test match and trying to do the best that you can do and, and represent your country yep. and your family to the best of your ability. But also it's just good to have a laugh. and I like to have fun and laugh and obviously train hard, but enjoy the moments as well. I think it's important. Yeah. What age did you learn how to do the haka? Probably, probably about two years ago. Yeah. Did <laughs> you guys have like practice sessions? To we did. So out? it's pretty much every kid knows how to do the haka back in New Zealand. Yeah. It's just one of those things. You watch the All Blacks, you watch the Kiwis, you watch the softball men's team. It's just something, I guess, globally everyone loves to watch. So you just brought up with it. But properly, and to understand the words and the meaning, it was probably only about two years ago. Yeah. So it was pretty much, yeah. When you're doing the haka and you finish, you guys just look like you are pumped up to the max. How long does it take for you guys to come back down and think about the game and focus? That's a, that's a great question, actually. It's important to control your emotions. And short story, the last couple of years, I have embraced myself back to my culture and, and mm. learning te reo Māori and learning more about my culture. And I find that's a really positive mechanism for me to keep me healthy and well. But yeah. as with, with, with the haka, it's, a, it's an emotional... War dunks. You, you you are calling upon your ancestors and the history of your family and in our country of Aotearoa. There's a lot of history there, mm. so you're really just soaking all that all that spirit yeah. and strength in. But as you said, controlling the emotion and make sure it doesn't get over the top of you because it can be draining if you let it get on top of you. So it's just keeping that balance, understanding who and why you're doing the haka for, but also bringing it back down and just staying relaxed and balanced after you finish so that is a really good question actually yeah where do you feel it is it through the chest in the head like when the experience of you doing it where do you where do you go for myself yeah since I've gone back and reconnected with my culture I, I feel it everywhere really I feel mm. it everywhere I walk and and I feel proud of my my culture my heritage my my ancestors and the, the old stories that how they discovered Aotearoa, what they went through, the hardships, but also the, the, the good times too, and I'm still learning. I, yeah. I, 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 for myself, I can only say for myself, I, I feel it everywhere, throughout my body, throughout my my spirit, I just feel yeah. it, it's hard to explain. Because of the connection that you've got with the actual you know event when you're doing it, can you even notice the opposition or referees or any of the crowd at all? Or you just kind of within really. yourself, you're just, you're just and in you just, yeah. just in the zone, and you're just in that moment and trying to, to look look as mean as you can. But <laughs> for me, like I said, it's yeah, it's a different sort of emotion, but it's something that I will cherish. And and you don't get too many opportunities to do the haka in front of your four million people watching, and in front of your opposition, and representing your family and your culture. Yeah, it's a cool little story, man. All right, take me now, because once you leave the Tigers, you then had the opportunity to go over to the UK and play for Huddersfield. How did that eventuate? How that eventuated, I was 26, 27 at the time, and I 
had already won two premierships, as was mentioned, and my body wasn't recovering as fast as what it used to. How old were you then? I was 26, 27. Yeah. And I wanted to stay in Australia and play in the NRL. I had a couple of opportunities to, to go elsewhere, but I just thought England, travel the world, different mm. country. The, the league's fantastic over there, but it's not as demanding as the NRL. And obviously the pound at that time was double the rate, so that was a bit <laughs> of a call as well. I was thinking, okay, my career's nearly finished. I need to, need to do the best I can financially. So that was one of the decisions that I made. And Huddersfield was a great club and a lot of history. It's the birthplace of rugby league. And at the time there was John Scandalis, Brett Hodgson, Shane Alford, Jamal so Olesi, Tigers, the Tigers, Ben Bolton, yeah. they were there too, so we have a bit of a laugh, we call it out the West Tigers pension. <laughs> oh, so still I, Tigers. Yeah, so I thought, <laughs> I thought it was a great opportunity to go there and, uh, and I took that leap. Yeah, and who was the coach, Brownie, was it? It was John Sharp at the time, but then he got the cut halfway through the year and Nathan Brown came in. Yeah, how many seasons did you end up at Huskers? I played Ford? two and a bit. Yeah, because... You, you we'll talk about some of the issues that you had off the field in a second, but first season, was everything rosy and everything was just going well? Or was that the start of how everything started to unfold? At the time in 2008, so life was great. I was a young man. I, yeah. I was in a, a great relationship with my ex-wife at the mm. time, ex-wife, Vanessa, and, yep. and things were great. We were travelling around and playing good football and we, we both decided to, to have a child and I guess have, becoming a father triggered memories of my childhood yeah. which I spoke about earlier uh, some hardships growing up the surroundings that I was in and I guess what I saw as a young child becoming a father triggered memories of the not so pretty things that happened in my childhood and, okay. and that was pretty much a, a, a downfall in, in my in my health I suffered from depression for four months yeah. and then the, the rest has been well documented I went through Seven days, seven nights without no sleep. Yeah. Which, but the last day I suffered from psychosis. Do you remember any of the actual seven days? I remember everything. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And how how did you stay awake? I was worried about the past. Yeah. I was role playing episodes in my head throughout that seven days, and making up scenarios in my own head. And as we all know, when we don't get enough sleep. Your mind can start playing games on you. Absolutely. So by the seventh day, I started to suffer from psychosis, hearing voices. Those voices were telling myself to kill my partner, Vanessa, and our unborn child, and then myself. And that's when I needed help. And Vanessa ran the ambulance, and I was taken to the hospital. Which then I escaped from the hospital Did like you? a madman, <laughs> running the streets of Huddersfield, trying to. In my life, yeah. running, trying to look for moving cars to run in front of, but unfortunately, there was nothing yeah. that could stop me. And then yeah. the police stopped me, and I was tasered, handcuffed, and then thrown in the jail cell. You were tasered. I was tasered. I was in so much rage. I was in pain. I was. Do you remember crazy. the tasing like it was I yesterday? Everything. Like it was yesterday. Yesterday, it didn't feel too good too, just quietly. Yeah, I could only imagine on the movies you see, and they mm. all go straight down. How did you escape from the hospital? Was just no one watching, or? It was 3 a.m. Yeah. It was early in the morning, and it was just a normal hospital, and it just those voices become stronger. Yeah. And once they become strong, you start believing in those voices telling me to kill myself. So. Yeah, I escaped the hospital and unfortunately I assaulted two men those voices were telling me to hit them so yeah. I hit one of them knocking him, knocking him out cold unfortunately and 
Have you had an opportunity to talk to them? I have had an opportunity to talk to them when I was at Huddersfield and and understandably so. They don't really want much of a part of it. Yeah, of course not. But all I can do is send my... Yeah, just apologise, I guess. Send my apologies and I tried that and just wish wish that person all the best. Yeah, absolutely. And move forward. But yeah, it was just... Yeah, the police saw that I was in so much rage and anger and I was tasered, thrown in in the jail cell. But then the voices become stronger, so while I was in that jail cell, I was punching the wall, banging my head against the walls, and my head was saturated with blood, and by then the police knew I was in trouble, so they took me to the psychiatric hospital mm. where they induced me with some heavy drugs. So finally I slept. Yeah. I was locked up for four weeks. Heavy medication, 20, 24-7 surveillance. Jesus. And then Did I you know to, where you were during that period? I knew where I was. I was heavily medicated yeah. during that time, and also five years afterwards as well. So I know where I was. It was just a matter of getting myself together and and trying to fit back into the community after a massive episode of psychosis mm. and being heavily medicated. After that period, what was kind of the first step to you getting back into a normal life? Pretty much, I went straight back into training. Yeah, and I managed to play a couple of first grade games in the Super League, but I wasn't the same player. Did the boys know that what had happened? Oh, everyone knew. It was well documented. It was all over the news. It was all yeah. over the papers. It was, for, for a person trying to find his feet again, it was hard to realise what I had just done. Yeah. And what did you just zap the energy out of you, the ability? Did you just mentally and physically, were you just not, not there anymore in terms of playing I wasn't. League? I was a zombie. I was on heavy medication. Yeah. I tried to to play to the level that I used to play, but I just couldn't get there. I was heavily medicated. I was, I was drowsy each day. And I, it was the only option was to retire. Nathan Brown was a great, great supporter. He he looked up to me in, in every way you could do off the field and on. And it was just my time to step away from the game to get myself well again. Yeah, and then you know you mentioned before that you had depression. You know, a lot of people are suffering that, and mm. some people have great mental health. Some people don't have good mental health at all. If you could pass on maybe a little bit of advice about handling yourself in that period, if you are in a down spot. What advice would you have for the audience? Medication is needed and the professional help is needed mm. through through your journey. But sometimes I, I believe that some some diagnoses get mistreated. And for myself, and I can only talk about myself, I don't have a degree in psychology, but I do have a degree in pain. Yep. And what I did was, during that five-year period, I, I was heavily medicated. But what I learned to do is learned how to be the captain of my own ship. Yeah. And what that, how I discovered that was, I educated myself, read endless books, I put myself in wellbeing courses, I challenged those negative thoughts that were in my head. So I substituted, on my own accord, the medication with education. I don't recommend anyone to do it. Like I said, the professional help is needed. Yeah. But I just honed my skills and I just practiced the value of being grateful, the, the, the importance of sleep. What lack of sleep can do to you. Yeah. The, the importance of sharing stories, the importance of giving and being grateful for what you do have more so than focusing on the things that you don't. The power of now, being focused on the present moment. Yeah. I mean, people go through a depression, they're worried about the past. But why be worried about the past when we can't bring it back? Have you read that book by Eckhart Tolle? The, uh, yes, yeah. it's one of my favourite books. I've read that probably about three or four times. Awesome book. And Beautiful book. Great it? book. Love it. And we go through depression, we'll anxious about the future yes it's important to have a vision and goals but the most important time is now and right now. to get to those goals yeah. you have to take certain steps 
and I just just love learning. And yeah. I was always sitting at the back of the of the class during my school years, but now I'm in the front. I'm asking questions. I've I'm growing in different spaces. Yeah, me and Sione Falmoina were having a bit of a laugh because we're both going through the yeah no worries, the people that we respect now and we follow. We have like Gary V and all these different guys that are just business experts and that. But we would have been laughed at ten years ago. Mm. Is there anyone in particular that that you like to follow now? Anthony Robbins, he's obviously the the guru. Yeah, and I've read his book and I love the, the great things that he that he does. I love your stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Fat. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that, man. I, I, I love reading you know, Oprah Winfrey, uh, uh, other great athletes. Michael Jordan was a oh, massive yeah. idol of mine growing up, and and I've loved I love his competitiveness, but his humbleness and how caring he was, but also his business suave yeah. as well. And he just his will to win, his will to win, and and also learning more from your losses than your wins. He's got a quote. I've missed more than 3,000 shots. I've lost more than 300 games. Yeah. I've been trusted to take the winning shot 27 times and missed. He's found it over and over a time, over over again, but that's how he yeah, succeeds from his losses. Setbacks, yeah. So I, I, I love reading and learning about other athletes as well. So it's, just, it's all out there. It's all universal. All you've got to do is just look on Facebook or, or in, internet and it's right there for you. Yeah. The two, answers are there. Two personality questions just to wrap it up here, Fats. So first one, what was your favourite venue in Australia? And then back over when you're playing in the Super League. Favorite venue, like Hart, yeah. Sunday afternoon, can't beat it. In England, it would have to be Wembley Stadium playing in the you Challenge Cup there. Grand Final wow. against Warrington, making the Challenge Cup Grand Final. That was a great experience. Wembley's a lot of history behind that field, and just to be there amongst them, we lost, but mm. just to be a part of it. That would have been 60,000, 70,000 people. 72,000. Wow, amazing it's a great experience. experience for sure. Fats, final question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party? You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite, my man? Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, Jessica Alba, Ooh. Beyonce, and JC. <laughs> Great picks, man. Thank I you. like those. I'm coming for sure to that party. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fats, before I let you go, where can the people connect with you if they want to follow you both online and follow your work? So you can follow me on Facebook, under internal strength or Paul Fatu Era and also Instagram just under Paulie Fats. Fantastic. Well, everyone, get following Paulie because he's doing some amazing work both in the community and also evolving himself as a human being. So definitely get behind Paul. Paul, my man, it's Thank been you. an absolute pleasure, my man. And Thank you, TK. Appreciate it. I think it. we should do it again because I've got a whole heap still more questions to Love ask it. you, my man. Thank you. All Appreciate right. it. And, guys, that was Paul Fatuera. Be sure to continue to follow his journey. So check out all his social media channels. If you didn't get them, they're all going to be on the show notes. So definitely check all those out. If you really enjoyed the episode, please tag Paul in a post on social media or myself and just tell off maybe a family or friend member that you think might get something out of the show today. Really excited for the next kind of, well, for the rest of the year, but some of the ones that I've recorded lately, I've really, really enjoyed. Next on the show, as mentioned, Rennie Matua. We've got Richie Vass, Ryan Hipwood, Luke Egan, and also Steve Monaghetti. They're all in the bag. I've already recorded all of those. So you'll be seeing those over the next month or so. So please, like I said, subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher, or you can find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this 
was Talking with TK.